Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here on this Monday, October 26th, 2020, here for the Locked On Nationals podcast. On the show today, we talk about an under-the-radar piece of Nationals news that occurred last Friday. And then we have playoff diary number eight here for this postseason. We had three World Series games over the weekend, which we will get to. I'm going to start with the Nationals news first, and then we'll get to what was a crazy weekend of baseball in the World Series. You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's get to it here. Locked On Nationals podcast here on this Monday. So some news coming out about the Nationals and Masson, obviously, their TV broadcast partner. This headline comes from the Washington Post. Nationals get an offseason win. NY Appeals Court holds up. $100 million Masson Award. This is from October 22nd, so four days ago this came out on Friday, uh, Thursday, excuse me. But I don't think it was picked up and not talked about too much. So here is the article from Ben Strauss from the Washington Post. He says, quote, A New York appeals court ruled Thursday in favor of the Washington Nationals in a dispute with the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network, upholding a $100 million award for the team. Attorneys for Masson, uh, excuse me, an attorney for Masson, which is owned partially by the Nationals, and the Baltimore Orioles, but controlled by the Orioles, said the network would appeal the decision to New York's appellate court. Thursday's decision is the latest in a twist in a years-long legal dispute between the two teams over TV rights. In 2014, a MLB revenue sharing committee ruled for the Nationals only to see the ruling vacated in New York uh, on court on the grounds the MLB had a conflict of interest. Washington was represented by the same law firm that had represented MLB. The court sent the dispute back to MLB to begin the process anew, and last year MLB again ruled in favor of the Nats, a decision that was affirmed in the New York State Court in August and now again on appeal. Quote, we reject petitioners' arguments that the Revenue Sharing Committee otherwise violates, uh, violated its obligations, exceeded its powers, or denied petitioner a fair hearing, unquote, the court wrote. So basically, just kind of uh, going through this, the, the real skinny is, at stake is about $20 million, Strauss says, in additional rights fees from 2012 through 2016. The Nationals say they were owed $296.8 million from Masson for those years, whereas the network dis- uh, disbursed $197.5 million over that time. And the the uh, team deserves they believes they deserve the other $100 million. Quote, the Orioles and Masson believe the evidence shows that MLB's A revenue sharing committee is not a fundamentally fair and neutral forum for the dispute, Masson attorney Thomas Sosnowski wrote in a statement. The Orioles and Masson intend to appeal uh, the appellate's division's decision to the New York Court of Appeals, New York's highest court, end quote. So this could go, I mean, technically speaking, to the Supreme Court if they wanted to, or, you know, if it keeps getting pushed. Um... I am not going to pretend to be a legal expert here. Obviously, $100 million for the Washington Nationals would come as a very welcome uh, financial boost to the team, especially in the COVID era. And also, too, I think Nats fans would like that because that means uh, there's a good chance the Nats could use some of that money to go out and get somebody in free agency. So whenever the organization has more money, it's obviously going to be a positive I am curious to see where this goes. I do not pretend to know where it could go, but I think it's a piece of news that for the most part, I actually hadn't seen until I was kind of browsing around this weekend and, uh, you know, it popped up. So 
this is a very interesting case. Obviously, something that you want to track. And at this point in time, the Nationals, another $100 million in revenue. Obviously, could not hurt. But really interesting considering, right, the Orioles own Masson. The Nats partially own Masson, but the Orioles are the controlling stakeholder in the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network. So kind of a weird wrinkle there between the two Beltway teams. Uh, the Nats kind of going at it with their, um, you know, with their counterparts, if you will. Uh, one other thing I want to mention before we keep rolling on, we talk about the World Series today. I had some responses on Twitter to actually a couple podcasts, and I wanted to address them because I think they brought up some interesting points. Uh, a Twitter follower named Renaissance Man um, had some comments on some of the some of the um, podcasts we had posted, and I think they're actually they made some decent points, but not points that I agreed with. Um, one of his first points it was a response to the Josh Harrison signing. Um, thinks that I was a little bit too overblown with how important Josh Harrison is. And, you know, he mentions that he was picked up off the scrap heap. Josh Harrison's value is not, you know, he's not an everyday player. He's a, he's a backup. He's a complimentary player. He's a guy you can move around. No, you don't have a plan for Josh Harrison, but that's kind of the point, right? Like there's, you know, he's not an everyday blank. He's supposed to fill those gaps and his performance this year and his attitude is what warranted him being re-signed. The fact that he's liked so much by management and by the team, that is the part that makes it worthwhile, right? I mean, when you're kind of fighting for utility guys, you know, it's it's kind of uh, marginal, right? The difference between guy A and guy B. Not only was his performance better than Brock Holtz this year, but the fact that you he popped off the television screen, I'd mentioned this, that's what we're valuing. I'm not saying he's, you know, going to win a gold glove at some posi- at any position next year. What I'm saying is, as an outfielder, as a guy who's a utility player, who can play second base and can play some outfield, that is valuable for the Nationals, especially when you're not 100% sure about Luis Garcia. And that's kind of where this next point that he makes goes. Um, Renaissance Man notes, that uh, that Garcia and Keboom have not, you know, are not pulling tremendous weight. I guess he, the way he says is maybe two or three years, you're looking at a different player than me. So he said Garcia was not good at second base, 302 on base. And here is my point about Luis Garcia, and I wanted to make this on the show. Luis Garcia was playing second base in a season where in January, if you asked of the Nationals brass, do you see Luis Garcia playing for you? Maybe as a September call-up. Maybe. But they had no plans for him to play. And even with COVID, there really were no plans for Luis Garcia to play. Starlin Castro getting injured is what triggers Luis Garcia coming to play. And having that happen, having to now fill in at that age, at 20 years old at second base, for a guy that, you know, and just turned 20, by the way, too. He turned 20 in May. Having to fill in at second base all season long, at 20 years old, I mean, he hit 276. I, this guy's not driving a ton of runs. No, he hit two home runs, 16 RBI. He's 20 years old. His body composition at the age of 20, uh, 25 rather, is going to be different than it is right now. He's you know, At 30, it's going to be different too. I think the power comes. I think the development comes as well too. I think Luis Garcia is far from a finished product. But what's encouraging is he hit 276 at 20 years old. I'll take that all day long. Um, for a kid that did not think he'd be playing this year at the big league level, this guy is the first player to be born in the 2000s to hit a major league home run. That is startling. 
right? And so I think we should acknowledge that the season was really good. Of course, defensively, it was a disaster, you know, you could almost argue. But he's not used to it. And he also made some really good defensive plays. We know he can be a good defensive player. So I would say, you know, I'm not trying to boost Luis Garcia like he's the everyday second baseman that we know he knows he's going to be great. But that's where he's going to start next year. That's where he should start next year. And uh, in the Renaissance man also goes on to mention Carter Keebum. I have been very critical of Carter Keebum. I'm not really sure any point in time where I've boosted one Carter Keebum. I just think he was mishandled this year. I, I, I'm not going to um, argue for for Carter Keebum uh, being good, you know, having a good season. And also saying that, that Kendrick and Zimmerman are washed up um, and them playing could lead to, you know, a 70-win season. I resent that as well, too, just because I think that, I mean, Zimmerman's last performance and Kendrick's hitting performance, they're not washed. Like, that's not a washed hitting performance. Howie Kendrick has still been an excellent hitter uh, at this age. And, you know, he is not somebody who it's a matter – like, if Howie Kendrick wants to play baseball next year, there's a bunch of teams that would love to have his services. Howie Kendrick at 37 is going to decide whether or not he plays baseball next season, and that's because of how good a hitter he's been. Not because of his glove. So saying that somehow he's washed, I don't understand that. He's his numbers completely go to the opposite of that. They completely say the contrary uh, because of the quality of hitter that he is. And so Zimmerman, I don't think we know what we're gonna get. Right? He's had times where he's been up and down, but I think it's a question mark. And once again, he's a guy that if he wants to play, he's going to be given the choice to play. And I don't know if I saying off the bat that I think Ryan Zimmerman is going to be bad next year is a factual statement because we don't have any proof of that, right? He was very good in the World Series campaign um, and for his age especially as well too. So the last comment he made was we need to face the facts as Nats fans. If we're cobbling, talking about cobbling together a lineup of uh, quad-A utility guys, Stevenson and, yes, Robles, retreads like Harrison, and not nearly kids, Kibum and Garcia, washed-up vets like Kendrick and Zimmerman, we're looking at a 70-win season. I don't agree with that. I also think that uh, Robles has been rightly criticized. Andrew Stevenson has, has not played a ton, but has played well when he has. And I'm not saying he's going to be a starter. I was just acknowledging in past podcasts that he could be a starter. And then Harrison, once again, I've explained that. But uh, yeah, if you guys say stuff to me on Twitter, I, you know, I, I want to respond. And also do too, it kind of allows me to clarify some of the points I've made if I was not clear enough. So once again, Harrison, not saying he's going to be an all-star. I'm saying as a utility guy who fills in, he definitely earned that one-year contract back with the group. And that's a more encouraging guy to have out there as opposed to a Brock Holt who did not bring a ton of production. So there you go. There's me reacting to some Nationals news. Also to reacting to some Twitter stuff. Let's take a break, hear a word from our sponsors, and when I come back, let's talk about the weekend that was a crazy weekend of baseball in the World Series. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever made. They've got 18 flavors, including six new ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry bar chia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Those go along with their 12 original flavors, coconut almond, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, orange, toffee almond, coconut, and peanut butter brownie. All have chocolate, six with nut, six without nut. So right now go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off. You also have a chance to win a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Once again, that's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off on your first order. All right, getting back to it here on the Locked On Nationals podcast. Three games over the weekend. 
And I said before the weekend last Friday, I said, look, this could be the end of the line. Uh, on Monday, we could be recording a podcast and the baseball season could be over. That is not the case right now. Uh, it, it could have been. It was, it was pretty dicey there on Saturday night. But over the weekend, the Dodgers won two of three. They took a 3-2 lead in the World Series uh, now. But the one thing about this World Series is interesting. While the Dodgers are one win away, the Rays have come back and won every subsequent game after the Dodgers have won. No team has gone on the two-game winning streak, so it's been really blow for blow so far in the World Series. Obviously, I said best of five uh, when we recorded on Friday night, or excuse me, on Friday. That Friday night game, I loved, loved, loved the Dodgers. If you guys saw the Locked On Nationals account, I even tweeted a video of a Daniel Jones run saying, us running to the window to bet the Dodgers uh, minus 150. And I just like the fact that, I said it last week, when they have the more established starter on the mound, or you know, established in terms of being a top-end guy like Walker Bueller is, I felt more confident. And he delivered on Friday night. 10 Ks through six innings, only three hits allowed. Charlie Morton got touched up a little bit. He allowed seven hits, five earned runs, six Ks, uh, and a walk. And so Charlie Morton has been pretty decent. Uh, you know, we do think at times he can, you know, he's got some nasty stuff, but the Dodgers were able to get to him and they were able to respond after that um, loss in game two. And they did it with uh, in a variety of ways. Turner, Turner got the party started with a home run. And then they were able to move the line. And Max Muncy had a very, very nice weekend. So uh, that game two, or excuse me, that game three, winning six to two, was important. And then game four with a chance to take a 3 1 lead is always, always crucial. And so I thought the Rays' response in what was a fantastic baseball game, one of the best games of the year, maybe the baseball game of the year, an 8 7 clash. That was just back and forth the entire time. I mean, you look at the box score and you look at the scoring plays as well, too. Just tit for tat. The Dodgers taking a 2-0 lead and then, uh, you know, the Rays getting one back. Dodgers going up 3-1. Rays get another one back. Dodgers go up 2 again. The Rays strike for 3 and pull ahead. Then the Dodgers go back and get another 2. They pull ahead by 1. Rays even it up. Dodgers go up by 1. I mean, the amount of lead changes. You had 1, 2, 3, Four and I, yeah, I believe four lead changes in this game. The game was tied on three separate occasions as well. And um, for what happened in that game, you know, as we all watched on Saturday night after a day full of college football, man, was that fun. The back and forth, and then the errors that came, uh, the comedy of errors, I guess you could say, that came on that final play when Phillips hits the ball into right field, Kiermaier scores as Will Smith boots, or excuse me, um, Chris Taylor boots it in center field. And what was interesting when he boot, you know, before he booted it, I was thinking, I think Kiermaier is going to be fine, but I still felt like there was a chance there could have been a play on Kiermaier at the plate. But they boot it. Taylor gets it. Rosarena turns and then stumbles like just like Daniel Jones did to reference that uh, once again. Daniel Jones the quarterback for the Giants stumbling on Thursday night. And the there were two things there at the end. There was the throw from Muncie, which I'm not sure we're talking about enough, that it was to the left. Uh, and then if you, you know, from the, from the outfield perspective, and then, you know, if you look at it from behind the plate, the throw was to the right of Will Smith. And, and Muncie's basically on top of him and puts that ball too far to the right of, of Will Smith, who needs to catch it. 
but is not able to. And then a Rosarena sliding home and pounding on the plate. And then 2-2. And the question was, you know, I actually liked the Rays in, in game four. I liked them last night. And your question was, could the Dodgers respond? This felt like one of the most Dodgers things ever that, oh my goodness, putting Kenley Jansen in the game for Dave Roberts is going to spell doom for him once again. And it didn't. And last night, the Dodgers played a, it was a t- I mean, that was a tough game last night. That was a difficult game. And they did what they needed to do by taking the early lead in that first and third with nobody out scenario where Margot gets tagged on the helmet. They don't allow any runs. Kershaw gets out of it. And he's beginning to turn that narrative some, right? The narrative of Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs. No, he wasn't lights out the entire time. But Kershaw last night, five and two thirds innings, two earned runs, given up six Ks, two walks. He did, he did what he had to do, man. And I know Dustin May ended up giving up the runs. Justin Turner in the huddle when he got pulled said he can get this mother effort, but they took him out and Dave Roberts went with Dustin May. Who's, he's had a, bit, a little bit of a rough uh, World Series, Dustin May has. But nonetheless, the pitching holds on. Blake Trinan comes in and gets the save, and uh, the Rays can't mount enough of a comeback. But it was interesting. Tyler Glasnow once again struggling, a guy who I thought could have – Made a case for a World Series MVP if he pitched, you know, he was in position to because he pitched game one and had the ability to pitch uh, a bunch. But, yeah, he struggled, man. And another Glasnow inning where he gets – or outing, rather, where he gets seven strikeouts but gives up six hits, four earned runs. Two of them were home runs. That that Max Muncy home run that made it 4-2 as opposed to 3-2 was vital. That gave them a little bit of a cushion and didn't put the pressure on, allowing Trinan to close it out. So – And now we get a little bit of a break, right? We get a little bit of time off, another day off. I like the fact that we're getting these breaks in there. And so we get to pause and hold our breath uh, as we turn towards game six. And in this one, I'm curious who the Dodgers send out because the Rays, we already know, they're going to send out Blake Snell in game six. And we do know also the Dodgers are going to send out Tony Gonsolin. The question is, is this once again advantage Rays? And I, I believe it is. I know Gonsolin has previously uh, did not do well last time, and I know, you know, the Dodgers have seen Blake Snell. I don't. I mean, this is one of those things where whoever you favor in the pitching matchup, you should go with in the game. That that is how I felt about every single game so far. Is that whoever you know the better starting pitcher is going to be. Uh, it, I know the bullpens, we talked about them at length, but the starter is so important just to be able to maintain that lead. That is crucial to, to allow your team to get there and help hold it at least for five to, you know, five to six innings. That's who you want. And I like Blake Snell in this situation. I think they definitely extend this thing to a game seven. I don't think you can trust Gonsolin once again, as good as he was in the regular season. And boy, was he excellent in the regular season with a 2.23 or 3-1 rather ERA during the year. But the postseason for him, you know, seven and two thirds innings, six hits, eight earned runs. And that has been the issue for him this season. He's also walked seven guys as well, giving up three home runs. He's got, you know, nine strikeouts, but the Rays have keyed in on that a little bit. And so did the, so did the, uh, the Braves, right? And so these good teams were able to key on key in on him some and do a good job against him. I think the Rays can do that again. I think they will force Game 7. Very excited to see what happens on Tuesday night. All right, so coming up on Tuesday, tomorrow is going to be our postseason position review for our starting pitching group. We have not done that one yet. We have done everything else except for the starting pitching and the bullpen pitching. So that will be tomorrow on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, we will have uh, another one of our 
postseason diaries because we'll either have a forced Game 7 or we will have a World Series champion. Depending on what happens there, we'll uh, fix the schedule for the rest of the week. If it is a Dodgers win, then on Thursday we're going to have our bullpen postseason position review. And Friday we'll figure that one out as we go along. But if the Rays win Game 6 and there is a Game 7, then on Thursday morning we're going to have another playoff diary because it's going to be the uh, for Game 7, obviously. And that would push our position breakdown of the bullpen to Friday. So right now, uh, if the Dodgers win, you can look for the bullpen breakdown coming on Thursday. If the Dodgers lose and we have a Game 7, the bullpen review is going to be coming on Friday. Just wanted to make sure you guys knew when the Nationals-specific content would be released. A couple more things. Uh, I have started the Locked On Big 12 podcast. My first show was today. Did a review of the weekend's action in the Big 12. If you guys are a college football fan or you know just enjoy the work of Josh Neighbors, you guys can go check that out right now. Available wherever you find the Locked On Nationals podcast. The Locked On Big 12 podcast is also available. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore at LO Big 12. And also follow us the show of Locked On Nationals at LO underscore Nationals. I love when you guys interact. Love when you guys you know say stuff that I can use on the show. I like answering your all's questions and being able to have fan interaction. It makes it a bit more fun. So I want to thank you, uh, thank Renaissance Man for supplying some stuff for the show today because it's a nice conversation. It does make some good points about some of the Nats players. And also, make sure you guys check out the Locked On MLB podcast as well. This is part of the Locked On Podcast Network.